Well, we're almost a month into the new year. I'm sure many of us have made our New Year's resolutions and probably just as many have broken them already. So how do we look forward to a glorious 2011? We have seven keys we'll take a look at in the next two weeks here on The Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to today's broadcast. Today's message and next week's program is simply entitled, Seven Keys for a Glorious 2011. So just how is it that we can look forward to a new year with excitement, joy, and delight, and all to the glory of God? Well, again, we have seven keys we're looking at, and we would invite you to join us. We'll begin in Psalm 19. Here now with today's broadcast is Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. If you're watching the New Year's celebrations on the news channels as the ball was dropping and all that, whether 9 o'clock or you stayed up to midnight, whatever, almost all the commentators were saying, boy, it's so good to have a new year and have a fresh start. Shelly said to me this morning, she said, it's so good that in Christ we can have a fresh start every day. <laughs> and that's true. But uh, as we embark upon this new year 2011 you know we are here today and we don't know what this year holds for us we don't know if it's going to be in our mind a good year or a year of trials a year of tribulation we just don't know that's key to understanding our dependence on god today the message is entitled seven keys for a glorious 2011 and if you turn over to second peter chapter 3 18 it says but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ and then it says to him be the glory both now and forever amen you know if you want to have a glorious 2011 if you want to have a year filled with the blessing of god in your life growing in grace is an important part of it growing in the grace that god supplies us and in that verse growing in grace is really equated with giving glory to God. And if there's one thing that we need to understand clearly, and this is in the the catechism, uh, Westminster Catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's so important that we understand that. That's probably the greatest theme in all the universe is the glory of God. And if you want to have a great 2011, we have to figure out how we can give Him more glory than we did in 2010. We exist in order to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you just stop and think about it in Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. When we talk about the glory of God, sometimes we just think of some shining light somewhere. But the universe itself is declaring the glory of God. That's how important God's glory is. When you go out on a clear night and you look up into those heavens. Amazing. Isaiah 43.20 says, Even the beast of the field shall honor me. Even the the beasts of the field, not not us as humans, but animals, will honor God because he created them. And not only the the universe and the animals, but even the angels. In Luke 2.14, we spent some time with the Christmas story these past couple weeks. And we know that there at the birth of Christ, it was the angels of God who proclaimed glory to God in the highest. So we see this importance 
on the glory of God. You see it throughout Scripture. Even in the, the book of Revelation, when God redeems his people and is ready to set up his kingdom here on earth, it's going to be a glorious, eternal kingdom. And it speaks of a great song that will be sung that gives glory to God, to the Lamb of God. And that's the purpose of everything that's ever been created, was to give God glory. In Psalm 16, 8, 9, David says this, I have set the Lord always before me, therefore my heart is glad. See, when you have God in the proper place, when you have God in a proper perspective to where you're at, and you, you understand that it's your chief end to give Him glory with your life, with your thoughts, with your heart, and all that we do, if we focus on the glory of God then it says he will make us joyful. We don't have to go around with our head hanging between, you know, down to the ground and, and, and just whining about whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. We can say, wait a minute, God is, is working in my life and he wants this for his glory, whatever it may be. It may be a hard thing that comes in 2011. For you, for your family, you don't know. It could be incredible blessing. But either way, we have to understand that as a child of God, God allows those things into our lives for his glory and his glory alone. We exist in order to give glory to God. If you look in the past, you'll notice some things about the glory of God. In, in the Old Testament, God was always trying to get men to see his glory. Whether it was Moses and the burning bush, all, all the different instances in the Old Testament where God revealed himself in some form or fashion. He was always trying to get them to see his glory to some degree. And the Bible says that in the future he will display his glory in such a way that everybody is going to see it. You won't be given an option whether you're going to see his glory or not. But I started thinking, what about the present? What significance does the glory of God have for us the day and age we live in now, January 2nd, 2011? Turn over to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul writes this verse, and it's, it's key to understanding the glory of God in the present day and age in which we live. Ephesians chapter 3, look at verses 19 to 21. It says, To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, Verse 21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God is not found in some bush today on top of some mountain. The glory of God, the Bible says, was found in a building in the Old Testament, in a tent, on the face of men when they came in contact with God, in the sky, the Shekinah glory, in the garden. And in the, the future, the glory of God will be displayed in the coming of Christ. But right now, we have to understand, beloved, right now the glory of God should be displayed in his church. That's where it should be displayed. The reason I say that is because over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes this, Christ in you is the what? Hope of glory. What's any hope that we have of glory? It's only Christ in us. This needs to be displayed through our lives to a lost and dying world. And when it's not, it does not honor, it does not glorify God. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul writes this, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, if the glory of God in the face of Christ is to be seen by anyone, 
today. It has to be seen through us. It has to shine through the church. That's the only way people are going to see his glory. The greatest calling for a believer is to glorify God, to adorn the doctrine of God, as Paul says in Titus 2.10. So in this present age, the glory of God, God has called us to manifest his glory to a lost and dying world. And if the world is ever going to see his glory, it must be made visible through Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, how do you glorify God? How do you do that? What's a practical way in which you can do that? I mean, that's the key question that we want to answer this morning. How, if glory of, if the glory of God is so important, and today in the day and age we live, God wants to glorify himself through his church, which if you're a believer in Christ, then you're part of his church, and you're on display for the glory of God. How does that look? How do we do that practically? The supreme purpose in life for any man or any woman, for that matter, anyone who's ever been born, is to glorify God, to give God glory. That's what living is all about. So many times we forget that and we get focused on our own selves and we forget focused on our own circumstances. And they overwhelm us at times and, and all of a sudden we feel like there's a dark cloud over us and we feel, you know, boy, we, we just can't do anything to get out from under this. And we lose our way in all those troubles and trials and tribulations. And pretty soon we're questioning, is God even in control anymore? Well, the glory of God says just the opposite. The glory of God says, yes, he is. And that's the chief end of the Christian life. Spiritual maturity is concentrating and focusing on the person of God. That's what spiritual maturity is. If you want to become more spiritually mature in your life, you need to focus on the glory of God. You need to focus on God. You need to focus on God's word. And I want to just give us some practical ways for the Christian to glorify God in the day and age we live today. First key to glorifying God in 2011 is, first of all, Pretty simple. And none of these are rocket science. You're not going to look at any of these points and go, wow, where did you get that one? I never saw that before. This is a time of uh, review of the basics, you might say. The first thing there is confess your sin. Confess your sins. That sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? Confession of sin glorifies God. Because if you excuse your sin, if you're not confessing your sin, but you're doing the opposite, you're excusing your sin, you're basically taking away any responsibility for your own sin. And then you're, you're blaming God for letting you get into the mess that you're in, whatever it may be. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. The woman whom you gave me. Remember Adam's word? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. What was he doing? He wasn't confessing his sin. He was absolving himself saying, oh, wait a minute, no, it's not me. He was practically telling God he did it. You did it, God. That's, that's why I'm in this mess. That's why we ended up eating the fruit. You did it. It's your fault. If you hadn't given me this woman in, the, woman in the first place, then we wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now, God. None of this would have happened. See, when we do that, we blame God. And what do we do? We assign guilt to a holy God. That does not glorify God. God is never at fault when we sin. Do you understand that? He is never at fault when we sin. Ever. It lands 100% right on us. Right in our lap. And sometimes that's hard to deal with. That's hard to understand. Sometimes we imply that he is somehow responsible. And when we do that, that really takes away from his holiness. Those unfortunately, who try to sneak out from under the absolute responsibility for their own sin, in turn commit a grievous sin against the glory of God. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, 
You can read that since we confess our sins, not if. There shouldn't even be a question mark there. And the reason that there shouldn't be a question mark there is look at what the rest of that verse says in 1 John 1, 9. It says, since we confess our sins, he is what? Mean and nasty and judgmental? No. He's condemning? No. It says that he is faithful and he is righteous. To what? To forgive us of our sins. And not only that, but cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the God we serve. The God we serve is when we come to him in confession of our sin. He's not there with a big baseball bat ready to hit us over the head. Now I have to say this, that as Christians, on occasion we take this a little too far. We think because, well, we live in the day and age of grace and, hey, I'm under the blood of Christ and, you know... What what does it matter if I go out and do these things that I would never do in a Sunday morning service? I would never say this in a church service, but I'll say it out here. I would never do this here, but I'll do it over here. And somehow we've grown lax in our understanding of the holiness of God. That God commands us to be holy. That God commands us to be a holy people, a people set apart for his glory. We think, well, you know, so there's a little nudity and a little sex in the movie. I can go. It's not a big deal. Does that glorify God? I can listen to this music. It's what, does that glorify God? I can put this in my body. Does that glorify God? See, we make excuses sometimes for the things that we do, thinking that God's just going to kind of overlook everything. Don't get me wrong. We are under the grace of God. Thank God. Or I wouldn't be here. I'd be dead. And neither would you. We'd all be dead. Thank God for his grace. But let's not overlook the idea that when we fall, beloved, we are instructed to go to him and confess that sin. What's that word mean, confess? Homologio. It means to say the same thing. Say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. That's exactly what it means. Don't try to color it in a different way. Don't make it try to be something it's not. Well, yeah, I have a grudge against that person, but you know what? They did this to me. Well, what's the scripture say? See? And we try to justify our attitudes. We try to justify our sins. And that's the opposite of confessing our sins. That's the opposite of repenting of our sins, turning away from them. To confess means to agree with God that sin is all our fault, and then to repent, to turn away from it. That's true confession. See, that act glorifies God. That will bring you a lot of happiness in 2011 if you can get that first truth, the confession of your sins. Do you know that you don't have to beg God for forgiveness? Catholic Church recently, and I was sitting there in the pew, and I was looking over, and I saw the confessionals, and all these memories just came back in my mind. And I remember I used to go in there, and you'd kneel down, and the little light would come on, and the little screen would slide back. And you'd say, Father, forgive me, it's been so long since my last confession, you know, that then you'd say, go through this stuff, and then he would say something, and then you would say your confession, whatever the bad things that you did wrong. Sometimes I used to make them up. I'd go in there and make things up. Silly. That's what I did, though. And at the end of my confession, the priest would say, okay, absolve you, whatever it is. And he'd say, go out and say two Hail Marys and our Father and a bunch of prayers. So after you're done, you go out of the booth, you go over to the pew, you kneel down, you look real spiritual. And, you know, if you have a rosary, you do the rosary. If you have, you know, just prayers, you're supposed to pray, you pray them. All to earn God's forgiveness, you understand. It's not as simple as just going to God and saying, God, you know what, I blew it, forgive me. I'm sorry. I know that this, this action or this thought was dishonoring to you. Please forgive me. Help me to, 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 to not do this again. Help me. Give me strength in the future to avoid this sin. I'm taking ownership of it. I don't need to go to some 
booth and talk to some guy behind a screen about that. He is faithful and just to forgive us as soon as we agree with him that it's wrong. He doesn't carry around in his back pocket and the next time you go to him, oh, you're back again with that one. Remember last time you came? He doesn't do that. He's not like us. (laughs) Okay. The Bible says that when he forgives and we confess and that forgiveness is there and it's real, he buries it in the depths of the sea. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. We don't have to beg him for forgiveness. We just need to confess it. We need to repent and ask God. Bear responsibility. We're big on responsibility in other areas of our lives. But when it comes to God's word and it comes to God's holiness in in our lives, somehow we skirt around the issue. And God is just saying, you know what? I want my church to be a window of my glory to a lost and dying world. And the only way that can really happen is if the individuals who make up that church take a long, hard look at their own lives and say, you know what? Maybe there are a couple things that I'm holding on to, making excuses. Maybe I need to confess them and get them out of the way for the new year. Secondly, the second key to having a glorious new year in 2011 is bearing fruit. Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Look at verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here and he says, My father is glorified by this. You want to know how to glorify God? Well, here's a good indicator. Don't you just love how the Word of God is so simple? It's so basic. It doesn't give us a code where you have to go work this formula out, and then maybe you'll figure out how to glorify God. No, he says, if you want to glorify God, my Father is glorified by this, that you what? What's it say? That you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. Why? Why is the Father glorified when we bear fruit? Why would that glorify Him? It's very simple. Because the world can see the results of a spirit-filled, fruit-bearing life in you when that happens. That's why we're here. That's why God left us here, to put his glory on display to a lost and dying world. Look over at Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul writes there, he says, Walk in a manner worthy. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Are you walking in a, a worthy manner before the Lord? Are you fully pleasing him? doesn't say half. It doesn't say three quarters. It says, are you given 100% to please the Lord? And then it says this, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the righteousness, the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. See, when we bear fruit in our lives, well, what do you mean by that? Good works. Works, you, you can look at your life and you can see God working to some degree in your life, and other people can see that. When we live a life of good works, when we see God working, the world sees it and doesn't glorify us, it glorifies God. And when they do glorify us, we should deflect that and say, no, 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 it's not me, it's God. Is your life bearing fruit? It should be. Last year, I had gave you the opportunity to fill out a card on some goals. I, th- I think I said, list three things that you want to do in 2010 in your spiritual life. And I'm going to do the same thing next Sunday. So this is a heads up. Be praying about this. Be thinking about this. And what those folks did is they filled out the card, three things, and put it in an envelope, sealed it, and they put their address on it. And a couple days ago, I mailed it back to them. I didn't look at it. That's between them and God. But I wonder how some of them did. Hopefully, when they opened the envelope, they said, wow, this is great. Look, here's what I planned to do. Here's what I wanted to do. And I did more. God did more in my life. Or it could have been, you know what? (laughs) 
Wow, I missed every one. But you know what? That's, that's where God's grace is. We're in a new year. Every day is a new day in Christ. Don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated. Be thinking and praying about God. What do you want to do in my life in 2011? What kind of fruit do you want to produce through me? Maybe those co-workers that don't know you. Maybe, maybe I need to be a little more aggressive with the gospel with them. Be a little more honest with where I'm coming at with my beliefs. Be a little more straightforward with the gospel. Maybe I need to reach out a little more. Maybe I need to spend a little more time in the word. Maybe I need to, you know, I mean, this is a great time to begin the challenge of reading through the word of God in a year. A lot of you do that. But we need to remember that we not only confess our sin, but God is also looking for fruit. He wants to see evidence that he's working in your life. If there's no evidence there, there may not be any life. Third thing, give praise to God. Give praise to God. Psalm 50:23 says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. See, when we praise God, that honors him. That glorifies him. One way to praise God is to give him credit for everything. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 26 to 31, you can read that on your own, but when Joab won the victory against Rabah, he got a possession of the enemy's crown. And what did he do? He sent for David so he could present the crown to him. He didn't hold on to the crown, put it on his own nightstand and say, hey, look at the reward I got. See, that's a a good illustration of how the Christian should act toward the master. When God blesses us with something and we win a victory in our life, we don't wear the crown. What are we going to do when we go to heaven? And what are we going to do with the crowns that we receive? What does the Bible say? We're going to cast them at his feet. We're not going to put them on our head and parade around and say, hey, look at my crown. I got a bigger one than you. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what heaven's about. We're going to give praise to God. You give it back to the Lord who has won the victory for you. See, some of you may be going through some very, very difficult times right now. And you're saying, you know what? You don't understand where I'm at. It's hard for me to praise God right now. I I totally understand what you're saying. But it goes back to this verse. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. It's not about your feelings. It's not about what you want to do or what you feel like doing. It's about what God tells us to do. It's an act and step of faith. Give praise to God. And you'll see your circumstances change. Not only that, but be content. Be content. Learn to be content. This is something we have to learn as a people because we just aren't. The American person, almost to a one, is not content. We're just the the opposite. We're discontent. We're discontent about our circumstances. We're discontent about ourselves. Wow, I shouldn't have this much weight, or I should look like this, or I should have this, or I should be this, or whatever. I wish I was that personality, or I wish I could do that, or be like that person. I mean, we're so discontent as a people. Sometimes, you know, I just step back and say, you know what, God, you made me this way. This is who you made, warts and all. This is how God made us. And by his grace, I'm asking you to use us somehow. He made us. He knows us best. He promises to supply all of our needs. See, and when we're content, we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives. And that gives him glory. I remember when I was early in ministry at First Baptist Church and just in youth ministry. And that's basically what I did just day in, day out, 24-7, just youth ministry, youth ministry, youth ministry. Wasn't really dating, didn't do anything. The pastor was always trying to fix me up with somebody. And, you know, I just, it wasn't, I wasn't interested, but it just, it wasn't my focus. And I'll never forget the day God blessed me with my wife. I wasn't looking for a wife. Matter of fact, I was claiming to be Paul and I'll be single till I die and all this stuff, you know. But God knew better. He always knows better. But what I'm saying is I was content where I was at. And that is key. Especially when you're in ministry and you're a single guy and you're, you're working with youth and people are trying to marry you off every other week. 
If you're not content, you're either going to make a big mistake and marry somebody God doesn't have for you, or you're just going to be miserable. And I'd always just smile and say, oh, yeah. Well, don't you think she's a nice girl? Yeah, she's a nice girl, but, you know, we'll see. It's up to God. And I was kind of shy, so I didn't really date or anything. But you know what? God had it all under control because God is sovereign. See, if we're discontented, it's the same thing as questioning God's wisdom. When you're discontented in your life about something, it's really like poking your finger in God's face and saying, you know what? You got this wrong, pal. I don't agree with what you're doing. That doesn't glorify him. That doesn't lift up God. That doesn't exalt Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul said this. And trust me, he knew from experience because he was in all sorts of circumstances. Philippians 4, 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. To be content. You have been listening to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, please give us a call. You can reach us at 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. You can also visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. That's gracefultruth.org. If you would rather write to us, here's our address, 2225 Euclid, Redwood City, California. The zip code is 94061. Your letters, phone calls, emails, they mean a great deal to us. Even more so, uh, join us for worship. Sunday services, again, are at 10 a.m., and details are on our website at gracefultruth.org. If you're not involved in a fellowship at this time, please consider this our official invitation. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Steve Converse.